This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priests said her any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. The opening Leinster versus Munster clash of the season did not disappoint with plenty of drama and excitement at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. And that leaves us with plenty to discuss on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you and I'm glad to be joined in studio by Luke Fitzgerald and on the line by Jonathan Bradley. And Luke, it was almost like a left wing voodoo doll in the opening minutes of Leinster Munster. <laughs> What we talked about last week, you know, Gary Ringrose defensively, you know, caught a bit at sea for the first Munster try. Then Kieran Frawley coming in, Ross Byrne obviously picking up that unfortunate injury, but Kieran Frawley getting, you know, what a showcase, 75 minutes at, at out half. You know, pl- plenty of drama, plenty of talking points. What was your kind of your big takeaway from the game? Well, sorry, in terms of the players, it was definitely Frawley. I thought that was really interesting to, to watch him play. I think, I don't know if you guys thought it, but I think he looks really similar to Crowley in a lot of aspects, actually. I think they both have similar kind of builds. They kick the ball similarly enough as well in certain ways. Um, Like, both good athletes. Both can break a tackle. Both are, you know, keen to get stuck in physically. Um, And both run the game quite well. I think Crowley's quite a calm guy. I mean, and that would have been way way more challenging for him than Crowley to come into, into that game, um, you know, probably having not run any reps with the, with the first team, or not many reps at least with the first team before uh, before the game. So in terms of players, that was definitely one highlight. And I thought actually Conan at six was interesting and I thought he played well as well. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant athlete. He's so strong. If he can stay injury-free, that's always the key thing with Conan, isn't it? And I do think, you know, as much as I love Conan, I do think Doris is a little bit more dynamic and I think he thrives in the freedom. And I wonder, is that something for Leinster to look at going forward in the big games? Because I just think I'd love to have Conan on the pitch. I just think he's such a big man. We don't have many of them. Um, Alongside the likes of McCarthy, they're just kind of strong and you feel like they can move bodies with a handoff or with a big shoulder down and both good tacklers. And, um, you know, against the big French teams, I think those two guys could be very important, particularly La Rochelle. Um, probably play a faster game against most of the other French teams. But La Rochelle, particularly those guys, might be a nice um, a nice change maybe to the dynamic that's that we've seen the last couple of years. So they're the three bits that stand out, stand out to me from, from a Leinster perspective anyway. 
Yeah, Jonathan, what was your kind of key takeaway before we drill down into some of the kind of the, the bigger talking points? Yeah, I suppose in terms of big picture stuff, it was it felt like if last season was the renewal of the rivalry and it felt like the rivalry was really coming back, it felt like another step along that path in the sense that we had two strong teams. Munster obviously weren't full strength just because of the injuries they have. Leinster really just missing James Lowe. But I think what had really damaged the, I suppose, prestige of the rivalry, maybe in the eyes of other people, was the fact that we didn't have these types of games and the fact that it felt like there was a perception probably with Leinster that they were able to field a weakened team and still beat Munster. And I think we've seen through the semi-final la- last year and then how much they had to put in with a full-strength team, you know, an all-international team and almost all-current Ireland international team, how much they had to put in just to beat Munster. So it really felt to me that there was just a ratcheting up of... I suppose the intensity, but also just, I suppose it felt like the two teams were a lot closer than maybe previous years down the line has felt like. And I think that's a really good thing for the two teams. It's a really good thing for Irish rugby and it's a really good thing for the ERC as well, just to feel like those two traditional rivals are back at a similar enough level. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like obviously, Munster beat Leinster in the URC semi-final, but as we discussed at the time, there was you know 14 lads sitting in tracksuits in the stands. So while it was a great win and great day for Munster, I was really intrigued to see how they would match up with you know what was a full-strength Leinster team. And it was you know it, on that score, I think it shows how much they've developed their own game under Graham Rowntree and Mike Prendergast and the coaching staff because it was really close. Obviously, Leinster missed chances. Some of that was down to bad handling, but some of that was down to Munster pressure as well. Munster had a couple of chances also. It was a really close game. So I I think even though Leinster won, I think there's a lot for Munster to take out of the game as well. Oh, certainly was. And I think, you know, you think of Scandal's yellow card as well. Um, You know, they kind of carried that. You think of the burn drop for the Gibson Park try, which is kind of against the run of play a little bit at that that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it could have been a very different game and they certainly made Leinster sweat. Um, You know, I would say, I think Leinster probably had a few guys who were a little bit cold, hadn't played a massive amount of rugby and you kind of saw a little bit of that rustiness, I think. Now, Munster had a, a bit of that too, but Leinster, I think, probably get a little bit better. And I do think Munster need to be cautious about maybe where they are in the journey. I still think there's more for them. I think they have a few positions that they still need to fill. Um... And um, the one thing I would say is I think they're in a way better place mentally. I, I feel like they have that grittiness and that belief that they they should be back at the top table. Whereas there was a couple of years where I thought, wow, like where where is this going to end up? I mean, do they end up kind of, you know, 10 years away from the top table, um, you know, competing? Whereas right now, I don't think that. I think they're still maybe from a Heineken Cup they're a year or two away, I think, if they, if, and, and like, provided that they um, add well to the squad and some of the young guys that we see progress further. Um, you know, I think they, you know, they're a year or two away, but they need to know they're there because there is still a lot of a lot of hard work to be done. But I just think the you look at the coaching staff, what they're doing behind the scene, and you think about the people they have been able to attract into the club. Um, I think it all bodes really well for them, and I think they're as a, the, the key point on Munster mentally. I think they're back. And I think they'll be tough to beat. Um, and they'll rue the little bit of sloppiness, I think, that probably cost them on the weekend against Leinster because that was a game that was in the balance. And if they could have got another score, it might have been too far for Leinster to come back. Yeah, Jonathan, I think you were on the show earlier in the season when we did talk up kind of Munster's potential or their promise or or the season they could have. And I think, you know, as you said in your answer, and I, I mentioned it as well, like the gap is definitely closed to Leinster. And I agree with Luke. I, I still would have like Leinster to lose La Rochelle 
as a top three in Europe. But I think underneath that, Munster are very much kind of the, the best of the rest or, or close to it. And, you know, we know Leinster are playing La Rochelle week one. That could really throw up a kind of an unusual draw that we haven't seen. Like a lot of these things are draw dependent. If you think back, like say Exeter won the Champions Cup, they were a great team in 2020. They didn't play Leinster that year or Saracens, who were probably two of the stronger teams because of the way the draw, you know, you know, went and they ended up winning the tournament. You know, that might not go Munster's way, but even just watching them at the weekend, like their attack shape is come on so far. Like, they're causing a lot of problems for Leinster at times. I mentioned last week, you know, winning the trophy last year, almost ahead of schedule, almost like alleviates a little bit of pressure and allows them to kind of work on their game plan while obviously targeting trophies, but without that real monkey on their back. Again, I think things are really nicely poised. You know, they have Bayonne and Northampton, Exeter and Toulon as their four pool matches. Like, they're, they're all very winnable. Like, uh, I feel like now that we've gotten kind of the proof in the pudding from the weekend, almost like, again, they didn't win the game, but I think there's enough there to think that they could still have a really good season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I was going to say that they got a lucky draw in Europe. They didn't get a lucky draw. They earned the draw by winning the league, obviously. So, you know, that's why they have the draw that they have in Europe. As you say, very, very winnable games. There's nothing to say, um, you know, whatever you want to say about the format in Europe, it's still going to be you. The jeopardy isn't there. Like, you know, Monster could have a place in the last 16 wrapped up by Christmas with the games that they have. Bayonne are going to be very focused, we imagine, on the top 14. And Exeter, as much as they are going relatively well results wise in England, you know, they're not the team that you're talking about that won the Champions Cup a few years ago. It is very much a sort of rebuilding between two different eras over there. So, you know, from what we've seen over the course of the season, and I am conscious of the fact that we're talking, you know, they've played, was it six games and they've drawn one and lost two. So like in terms of results, it hasn't actually been there yet. But I just think in terms of what we're seeing from the young players coming through, what Luke mentioned about the mentality, what you're saying about, you know, the attack and, you know, it's important that we don't, I suppose, jump too far ahead in terms of the attack because, you know, we're talking about a team last year where if we think back to just this time last year, like, you know, we were asking what was going on with Munster. So the progress that they've made in their attack to look essentially like two different teams from a year ago, I think has been massive. And you look at even the bit of buzz that bringing in a signing sort of mid-season unexpected, like bringing in Oli Jäger can be, even the injury news that they've got uh, today, you know, Peter Mahoney's not going to be out for too long. So that's a bit of a boost as well getting John Klein signed up because there was obviously a bit of talk that that might be difficult to do, obviously, once he became NIQ. So it just seems like the narrative around Monster, the mood music is all very positive heading into this, I suppose, key section of the season. Yeah, they're so much better to watch now. Like, you know, Stephen Larkin was there as the attack coach for a number of years. And every time there was a little glimpse of anything, it was like, oh, the Larkin effect in action. <laughs> but like, it never really like, you know, materialized in any meaningful way. Whereas... Now, like, you know, even even if they hadn't won the league last year, like, I just think stylistically, they're just so much more pleasing on the eye, which, like, I know Munster fans, they were built on the tradition of that four-dominated game, but to be able to marry the two, I think, is the best way of getting back to that top table. Uh, you, you definitely need to be able to score tries. There's just no doubt about it. In the modern game, you can't, I don't think you can kick your way to to, to all, like to wins, particularly against the best team. You need well, to be able to, maybe, but no, <laughs> but you still need to be able to score a try or two here and there. Like, that is kind of a pr pretty important, I think. Um, for for the most part, in South Africa, in fairness, they they are able to produce a bit of magic here and there. Whether it's pretty or not, they still end up marrying, kicking the kicking the goals with scoring a crucial try or two. So you need to be able to do that. Um, 
I think for me, you know, Munster, I think Simon going could be a good thing. I mean, that's been, he, they've been really loyal to him. I think if you're any foreign player, you'd love to go to Munster because you see, look, they do treat you well. They respect you. They know there's a bit of bad luck and all that. But I think him going could be perfect because if you think about a Hearn and you think of Dogbu in there alongside Klein, like they'll be strong in that in that second row. And you think about the guys in the back row, some of the young talent coming in there from, you know, pretty successful 20s tours, uh, you know, um, in, in the Six Nations. Um, the, the back, the, the, the back five look very strong. It's the it's the it's the front three. I think is probably going to be what defines whether or not Munster get to the next level. Because I see plenty. Maybe the back three now we're now we're talking about in Munster as a team. Maybe you'd want to see one or two more guys coming in there. Um, but I think they have. They sh- you'd hope they have a bit of space to bring in maybe a pretty stellar hooker or or a loose head or something in there just to just to because I thought Lancer were a little bit unlucky not to get a few more penalties that's from they looked to me like they had them under a little bit of pressure the little bit of knowledge I have in there uh, and just talking to a few people after the game um, but that is going to be the area that'll probably. They'll, they'll probably come unstuck. But it looks to me in the back, the back five isn't going to be the issue. The line isn't going to be the issue for them. It looks like they've got the attack sorted now and they have a pretty stingy defense for the most part. Could have done better against Leinster. We'll discuss those probably a few, few, few moments. But um, generally speaking, that was pretty good at the end of last season when they really needed it to be. And I think they've added some tools. Attack, I agree, looked really, really good. So, I think they're only a few pieces of the puzzle away from being a real threat and it looks like they've got plenty of young talent coming through the ranks. So I think they're in a really good place. Um, as I said, the danger for them is that they think they're maybe a little bit more further ahead uh, than they are. There's, there's still a few pieces, I think, of the jigsaw away from being back to the top, to the very, very top table. You're, you know, your Toulouse, your Lancers, your La Rochelle's. I think they're just one or two players off that, to my mind. From a Lancer perspective, you know, Kieran Frawley, obviously... Literally last week, you were talking about how you wanted to see him get an opportunity, how vital it was for his career. He got 75 minutes at the weekend against Munster at the Viva Stadium with the full Leinster team, which is the best way, obviously, to, to kind of gauge how a guy is playing when he's playing with everyone around him. How did you think he went? Yeah, I thought he was good. Um, you know, I think he looks very like Crowley and I think they have a lot of similarities in terms of, they, you know, they have a running threat. They don't mind getting stuck in the tackle. You saw Crowley with that turnover penalty, that key one, um, you know, in the uh, in the second half when Lencer looked like they were making a bit of progress. I think Crowley has a bit of that dog in him as well. Um, you know, and you could see him in the backfield as well. He's comfortable in a bit of space. He's, he's a good athlete, which is always a nice thing to have. Um, and I know from playing in the centre, he's a guy you'd like to have next year because he's he's solid, um, which I really like about Crowley. So, um, yeah, I thought he was really assured. I like Crowley every time I see him in there. Um, I My worry is that he might have missed his window that to, to really become an Irish 10. Crowley has a bit more time than him uh, to grow a little bit, um, particularly in the passing game. I think Crowley's got a solid passing game, but... To, can he take it to the next level? Is he? Can he get close to that Johnny Sexton where he can p- un- unpick the lock? Um, you know, with a bit of magic, with a bit of deftness that you kind of need. You need calmness to be able to see those things because it happens so quickly in there. Um, and I just don't know if he'll get enough time in there. And as well, the key thing, which was probably, which underpinned the point I was trying to make is that I still think if Ro- when Ross Byrne comes back, he goes in a 10 ahead of Frawley unless he plays brilliantly over the next couple of weeks. So we watched that space. Um, I think it suits Lancer to have him on the bench, but I think for his own career, I, I, I thought he showed why 
I I have believed that his best position is ten, and that's where he should be. If he wants to be, if he wants to play international rugby, it's going to be at ten. He's not a good enough athlete to play anywhere else outside of ten. But he 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 would be a brilliant athlete at ten, and could you know could very much survive there um, in, in international rugby. Um, hard to look at yourself that coldly, but from the outside, it's easier for us. And I've played, so I, I know what what that looks like. And I think um, I was delighted to see him get an opportunity there and to show us where. I thought he was really really good. He's a calm head and his shoulders, doesn't he? I mean, I, I don't know what you guys thought, but I I, I just think um, every time I see him in there, I like him. Yeah, Jonathan, what, what what's kind of your thoughts on, on Frawley? Obviously, like it, it, it looks like we don't have confirmation that Osborne's going to be out for a while. Like, potentially, I was reading earlier, it could be the new year. So there's a huge tranche of games here. Least of all that La Rochelle one in two weeks' time, which is a is a massive game. The Kieran Frawley could get a chance playing out out half. It's um it's it's like sounds like really like classic kind of shock chalk to say, but this could be the most important couple of weeks of his career in the sense that like Johnny Sexton's retired, Ross Burns injured. I don't agree with Luke in the sense that if Frawley plays lights out for six weeks, goes to La Rochelle and wins, goes to Tone Park and wins on Stevens Day and is really good, and Ross Burns injured, he'll be in the Ireland squad. I don't. I don't think it's a given that Rossburn necessarily goes straight back in at Leinster. So I think it's a really big couple of weeks for him. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's going to be really interesting to watch because the dynamic, I suppose, in Leinster selection meetings of what, what we had last year. You know, we assumed that Stuart Lancaster had a relatively big say in selection. So it's going to be interesting with Nina Barr coming in this week as well. Just the influence that he has over selection whenever we do come to talk about making a choice between uh Frawley and Byrne but like you know he's only 25 he's not 26 until the new year so it feels like we've been talking about him for ages but it, you know well, Luke still... has been talking about him for ages <laughs> well, I, just, I really like him as a player I, I oh, think really? yeah I just think he's I felt like he was wasted and I just thought he was he was in danger of I, I, when you talk about it in context, I think Will's point is good. I think this actually might be really important for him because he hasn't moved and I, I feel like he might have missed his window. Um, but now there's a small gap here for him to do that. But you just don't want to put too much pressure on the guy either. Um, so I, I, it could be key for him and it could be he could be right in having stayed all this period um, you know, and, and biding his, his, his time to look for an opportunity. Sometimes you need someone to get injured to have an opportunity and this could be it. My sense is that Ross Byrne has done enough to justify getting back in. One injury shouldn't finish him off. You know, is it? Him off, no, but I'll finish yeah. him off. But I think like he's been brilliant for Leinster. Like he guided Leinster all the way through that, that tournament last year and should have been playing that semi-final. Wasn't um, and I thought he actually got really harshly treated, I think, in, um, you know, when the team pretty much collapsed around him um, in, in the La Rochelle game. He got some un- unbelievably unfair blame uh, for, for Leinster's loss. So um, I like him a lot too, but I just, I, I just, my worry has been for all he's such a good player. We don't have so many types of that type of player that we could just leave someone's career go by the wayside and not, not give them game time. Yeah, I just want to bring Jonathan back in because I, ju- I jumped in. We're going to finish that off, Jonathan? Yeah, I just think it is going to be fascinating to watch because he is such a good footballer and that is the thing that makes him so intriguing as a 10. And it's against this fascinating backdrop where it's not only that we don't know really if he can make his impact at Leinster at 10, but we're also talking about a time of almost unprecedented uncertainty in the Irish number 10 shirt. And like we go back to this time last year and it, and it seemed like you know everybody was talking talking about him before he got that injury. Everybody was talking about how well he'd uh, integrated into the Irish setup, 
And then he got the injury in the uh, in the Ireland A game, and that was just so I suppose badly timed from his perspective. And then Ross Byrne, who you know, this time last year before that Australia game, we were talking about maybe being seventh or eighth choice Irish out half, and then all of a sudden he's lapped up the pecking order. So it's it's incredible how quickly things can change in rugby, both at provincial and international perspective. So whenever we're talking about how big a run of games this is, and yes, you know, you're right, you don't want to put too much pressure on it, but like it's incredible to think the difference both provincially and even internationally that these next couple of weeks could make to the guy's future. God, that Ross Byrne uh, penalty against Australia it's only a year ago. It feels like 10 years ago. Like, there's so <laughs> much has happened in Irish rugby and world rugby in the meantime. Like, But the, the Frawley one is interesting, you know, if, as, as it appears to be, that Ross Byrne is ruled out of La Rochelle in two weeks' time, which I'm going to just proceed as if he is for the moment, just for, for the purpose of this point. But... Like, Leinster haven't beaten La Rochelle, obviously, to say three times in a row they've played them, three times in a row they've lost. So, like, if he can go over there and lead them to a victory, a first victory, getting that monkey off the back, even in terms of, like, obviously, if he plays well, it'll be big. But just the kind of the kind of cachet that would give him in this kind of out-half like, kind of battle. Like, Johnny Sexton couldn't do it. Ross Byrne couldn't do it. And if he's able to come in and, and do that, lead the team around, I think that would be massive kind of on the CV. Like, obviously... Needless to say, it would be huge for the team and their journey to winning a European Cup or trying to. But just for to get that kind of little nugget on your CV when other great out halves couldn't do it would be massive, I think. Yeah, and look, he might have timed this thing perfectly if he does play great with Ninabar just arriving. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could be one of those ones where Ninabar, it's like the first thing he sees is Frawley and he goes, well, I can rely on that guy. Like Defe- Graham Henry, I'll take the ear to ten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nah, don't get me started on that. Coming in for three months and then calling Joey Carberry. And pretty like much three change. days. I don't think it was three months. Pretty, whatever it was. And literally, he, your man changed his whole career path based on that. Like, what a bunch of garbage. Anyway, um, yeah, because he would have been a brilliant. He was playing unbelievable rugby for Leinster at 15 at the time, if you remember rightly, uh, which would have been his best position. But anyway, um, look, I think it's... Um, I think it's exciting for him. I feel like, I hope he gets a good run of games injury-wise and he gets an opportunity because I think all you really want as a, as a professional player, um, just speaking from my own experience, is you just want an opportunity to show your wares. If you don't take it, you don't take it. But it looks to me like it might be a little gap here. Now, look, the other, the other, the other side of this is that, you know, you've got Harry Byrne, you've got Prendergast, you have other guys there. So they could, Leinster could go a different direction. I don't think they will because I just think if you look at Prendergast, he just looks like he's another couple of years away, another year at least away from putting the weight on. I mean, going to La Rochelle would be a big ask, looking after Dante in the centre and possibly a skeleton at some point coming down your channel. He just looks a little wiry to me at this stage. I'd be worried about him. Um, Mentally looks good, has all the skills. We can clearly see that, but there's another year or so, I think, of development to go before he's at the big the big boy table. Um, Frawley is ready for that. Burn, Harry is ready for that. Um, a bit more ready for that physically. But, you know, Frawley looks the, 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 the lead candidate to me and has played in some pretty big games here and there as well. So um, we wait and see if he kicks on and takes the opportunity. It looks like everything might have lined up quite nicely for him to go ahead and do that if he does produce. Um and I think, um, you know, sneakily, he might he might be the guy. He might be the guy for Leinster. Jonathan, I want to throw something at you and see what you think. You mentioned, uh, like, the selection meetings last season or, or how Stuart Lancaster might have viewed Frawley versus what they might be thinking now. Like, so Leinster have played La Rochelle the last three seasons. The semi-final in 2021, Kieran Frawley was in the bench. He played zero minutes in the final in 2022. Kieran Frawley was in the bench. He got zero minutes. Final in 2023, Kieran Frawley was in the bench and got zero minutes. 
So the biggest game of each season, Kieran Frawley was in the 23. You would have presumed he felt he was a live option. And yet they didn't think he was worthy of a single minute in a game. In all three matches where Leinster were chasing it, when they needed a spark, when they needed to get a victory. But what does that tell you about how he's viewed or or why he wasn't used, maybe? Because we have been critical about how Leinster have used their bench in the biggest days. And that just jumped out like a sore thumb. When I looked at it earlier, I thought it was the last two finals and I looked at the semi-final as well and was like, oh yeah, it was all three years he was involved and didn't play. What, what does that kind of tell you about, I don't know, or what do you think of it? I suppose it tells you that, one, he hasn't built up the level of trust that the players that were playing ahead of him and were the starters that he would have been replacing. So he hasn't built up the same level of trust but I think to Luke's point, he hasn't really had the opportunity to build that same level of trust. You know, Johnny Sexton was always going to be in the big games. Obviously, Frawley's versatility means that we could have seen him come in elsewhere or even, you know, whenever Johnny wasn't playing at the end of last season. So I think it's the sort of situation where whenever you're looking at th- those minutes and whenever you're looking at those minutes in those particular games, it's the sort of thing that, I suppose four years ago, maybe even less than that, much like the Joey Carberry situation, where there would have been this groundswell of opinion that he had to go somewhere else. You know, that should have been a sign that he wasn't going to be able to make the breakthrough at Leinster and he would be farmed out to whichever province had a need. I think in Irish rugby, we're really seeing the provinces and probably more importantly, the players look to get away from that sort of thinking. So... I think he is he's going to be a really interesting test case over the next season really because if he can't make the breakthrough if he doesn't make I suppose the impact over the next couple of weeks and Ross Byrne comes straight back in then you're sort of looking at it and thinking well if this is where you were last year and you weren't getting off the bench in these big games and with the exception of last season you know that was when Johnny Sexton was there and this legendary figure but if Johnny Sexton retires and you still can't get the minutes in the big games and I think you are at that sort of point where we're back to the sort of conversation that we were having a couple of years ago and being like is there a future at the RDS or is there just too much talent ahead of you and then it's where do you go from there well Luke was sending him up to Ravenhill last week Jonathan you would have loved it I mean, he would have been all over he that is one, perfect <laughs> he's perfect for Ulster he would be brilliant for Ulster you know and I think um, well like given that Ulster have, will have a scrum half playing 10 uh, certainly this week and maybe next week like it is one of those situations where you look at the, uh, I suppose, the division of talent and the depth of talent in some places in certain positions. And like, you know, if you're going to have that conversation about Ulster, you could make the case that Ulster have too many centers or whatever. But 10 is definitely a position where they don't have the depth. And, you know, their third choice 10 is their second choice scrum half, which is not an ideal situation to be in, especially when the first two out halves are injured as they are this week. Yeah, just to round off the Frawley point about the La Rochelle games, like two of those games Johnny Sexton didn't play. In 2021, he was injured, and then last year he was suspended. So Ross Byrne went 80 both times. And as you said, it's not Johnny Sexton that he was kind of left on the bench for a twice. But, but come, bringing a guy on to kick in kind of tight games is, is always really challenging. You know what I mean? Could it's have played like, him 12. Like, is he not, yeah, it's no, no, it's more yeah. a point that he didn't get a single minute. I completely agree three, with you. Three years in a row. No, no, sorry. I promise you, I, I agree with the point of principle. I, I suppose my head was that it's probably difficult to bring a straight swap in uh, for kicking. You know, it's not like 
It's not like Humphreys and O'Gara where they're both starting week in, week out for Ulster Munster and they've had, you know, they have pressure kicks for their provinces. You're bringing a guy in probably from the cold who might, you know, he's kicking and training, but it's very difficult when the pressure's on, the whole team's looking at you and there's 40, 50,000 as well at the stadium. So, you know, that does play against you. But I agree, he's versatile enough to have come in somewhere else. But I think the telling part about that is that it sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but he got zero minutes, which means that they didn't even think he was worth bringing him in elsewhere. Like he wasn't going to have a big enough impact to take out one of the other guys in another position. So yeah, straight away, to my mind, that, that if you're a player looking at that, you have to think, well, okay, I get why they you know they need me maybe to possibly cover ten, and that you know because it's a disaster if someone goes off. But they don't even think that I'd be able to you know you know make an impact versus anyone else, which I'm covering all these other positions in positions that people weren't playing great either. Um, after like 65 minutes. Like I'm, I'm not even going to be a better player than that person after them having played 65 minutes. So that to my mind would should, should have woken you up to the possibilities elsewhere. But he bowed his time and maybe this is his chance. Maybe now all that all that hard work he's done in the background um, will, will have been worthwhile. And he gets the opportunity in Leinster. Yeah, he better start now after all this big discussion. <laughs> or, else, or else the last 20 minutes has just been complete, the show. a complete waste of time. But look, 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 we're kind of a week ahead of schedule. But anyway. It is topical. Yeah. Everyone else noticed it too, yeah. I think. Everyone who was oh. at the game, I think, did. Like, it was a big talking point, I think. I think most people wanted to hear what you'd say. You're taking a victory lap that he's finally in. <laughs> I'm not taking a victory lap because I think he still could be in the same position. So I think it's interesting to hear Jonathan talk about the situation at Ulster because I think, you know, I think they've got an issue at 10. I've, Jonathan's heard me say this a few times. I think if if they're looking to get to the top level, I think that's going to be that's a gap area for them versus the other top teams. I think Billy Byrne is a nice player, but he's not he, he's not going to be good enough. I, like I think Crowley's good enough. I think um, I, I think obviously Byrne is good enough to take it to a final of of a Heineken Cup. I think both of those guys could win you something, uh, but I just don't think Byrne's. I don't get that sense of him. I don't get that awe over Shirtis. Whereas I think Frawley could be that, um, and he gives him that solidity alongside you know Ulster very strong centre partnerships. You know, and I think it's a nice ten in there with a bit of an attacking threat. Um, with a real defensive solidity makes them a bit gnarlier to me um, if they can get the pack situation sorted which I think they look like they're on the way to doing um, so I, I think he'd be perfect up there um, might be too late he might have got his chance uh, in Leinster over the next couple of weeks Yeah, as we said the next few weeks will be fascinating to see what way they go without half Jonathan anything else from Saturday that, that jumped out to you anything particularly patron interest uh, Simon Zebo to be fair um, coming back in and Whenever he hadn't played for so long and, you know, you've seen him even do so much TV work since you last saw him play, it's easy, I suppose, to overlook him as part of that monster squad. But um, it was disappointing, obviously, the way that he sort of ran out of gas, very much expected, given that he hadn't played. But he started the game so well. And um, there were a couple of times you were looking up and just rolling back the year stuff. It looked like uh, it looked like Zebo of old and... Um, Really looked to be enjoying himself out there as well. Like obviously, you know, he, he cramped up near the end, and that sort of played a played a role in a Leinster score and stuff. But was just it only general, a cramp? Like, it's, it wasn't a serious one, Jonathan. I sorry, I actually hadn't heard that. Is it a is it a bad injury or is it a with just a cramp? No, I thought it was just I thought it was just cramping up. Oh, was um, it? okay. Well, that's good news. Yeah, but uh, just I suppose very much a subplot of the game but I just really enjoyed seeing him back out there and enjoyed the way that he was playing the game the impact that he had in the game you know yeah no I, I 100% agree with you like when I saw the team's name it kind of jarred me a little to be honest when I saw that he was starting 15 I feel like since he's come back 
did he come back? Was it two seasons ago now? Like that, that he has really had very he's had awful luck with injuries. Yeah, but... yeah. I, I think as well. Like he, he doesn't look like he's been in unbelievable shape. That doesn't help when you've got problems around your feet and your ankles and things like that. I, I, I do think, you know, he could be in a little bit better shape. It looks like to me. Um, so it was really pleasing to see him back in the pitch. He's the kind of guy I think who doesn't really enjoy the gym, but he, you know, if he gets a run of games and he's fit that way, that's that's kind of the key thing for him. Because um, Mike Haley's injured at the moment, like Munster have an opening at fifteen. But obviously Conway as well, Levy. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like gone. they're like he's a huge loss yeah. to to that back three, and I think. Um, you know, Nash is obviously very exciting. We like Daly as well. Well, I like Daly anyway as well. I think he's good. Um, but the bit of spark, he'd be perfect for for Munster. That left boot as well. Um, so yeah, I'm glad Jonathan brought him up. Actually, I think uh, he looks he looks sharp. Um, you saw the ball handling ability as well, which I think you can kind of underplay with Zebo. But that that's another string to to Munster's ball. If they can get that ball out, if they can create opportunities for themselves in the inside channels and a bit of space, and they can hold down the the opposition defense, which they look like they're able to do now with the shape being a little bit better. Um, I like Nankabel there too. He's got nice ball handling skills. You suddenly throw Zebo in there, and all of a sudden you know, the pitch is open for you and it makes it way harder to defend. He's also got a lovely, lovely kicking game. He's great under the high ball. Um, you know, if he can keep himself fit, um, you know, he could be perfect for Munster, um, you know, at this juncture of the season. And and hopefully, as, as Jonathan alluded to earlier on, they could have their Heineken Cup qualification, you know, all sewn up uh, pre-Christmas. But I think he actually might be quite important for them at this stage. Yeah, Jonathan, because like, obviously at the moment, it feels like Simon Zebo's light years away from being in an Ireland squad, you know, getting another Ireland cap. But at the same time, if he's starting 15 from Munster, well, almost by the fact that he's like in the hunt, considering after Hugo Keenan, there's no, still no obvious, you know, Andy Farrell didn't really test this out, but we still don't have an obvious second choice full back. Like, you know. Looks like it's Jimmy O'Brien, but I I, say, he's, he's not he's playing not, there. Yeah, yeah. He's not playing there. Like, so at the same time, even though Zebo doesn't look like he's near the Ireland squad, if he plays at 15, similar to Kieran Frawley over the next few weeks, if, if Simon Zebo, if he isn't injured from the weekend and Mike Haley's out and there's some, you know, nice European fixtures, they have Leinster and Stevens Day and Tom Park, a good shop window there. All of a sudden, he could be back in the mix if he can keep this kind of little burst of form up. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where whenever we were talking during the World Cup and we were talking about, you know, Ireland's most important players and as good as Hugo Keenan is, a big part of why Hugo Keenan is so high up in that conversation is because we just don't know who the second choice fullback would be. We've seen various different players tried there over the last couple of years, but Keenan's played so many minutes that it hasn't really become, I suppose, a live issue, if you like, but you're only ever one injury away from having to have that conversation. Hopefully it doesn't happen happen with Hugo Keenan. But yeah, exactly as you say, if you're starting in the position for your province and you look around at the other provinces and there's no immediately obvious contenders there either, then, you know, he can't be a million miles away, even though, you know, if we had been having this conversation last week, it would have seemed pretty bizarre. <laughs> it would have seemed like, insane, yeah, yeah. But like, you're right, there's only ever three guys ahead of you. Yeah. That's the point. If you can, st- if you start for your province, it's my point about guys sitting, you know, and being happy to 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 sit in the gym. You, if you're in one of the other provinces, they're generally competitive in the league anyway. They're all like, you look, we're all top, you know, we've four teams in the top eight and that'll probably get a little bit better, you'd think, maybe. Maybe not. Um, if the South African teams get a little bit better. But, um generally pretty competitive all four teams and definitely at home they're all hard to beat so you'll play in teams that are doing well generally there's only three other guys that's it you know um so you can you can fly back up through through the pecking order the most important thing in Ireland is that you're playing and you're in the shop window because if you're doing that you got a chance 
Yeah, it does feel, feel though for you know Hugo Keenan's replacement that Andy Farrell is looking in house. Like you have the other fullbacks who are Turner O'Halloran, Michael Lowry, and Simon Zebo, who's been playing there this season, Mike Haley, who played there last season, none of them getting really a look in at all. It does appear that it, it is, as you said. Well, uh, Jimmy O'Brien was excellent in like he I he had one of the best cameos like in in I think it was I think it was New Zealand actually. He was on believable off the bench some of his tackling and it's just general play I thought he was outstanding um, and I'd say he'll get a little bit of the benefits from that because the big games when the chips are down that sticks I would think someone like Farrell who's played you know at the top level as a hardy warrior himself I feel like O'Brien to me like he completely changed my mind about him like I wasn't sure Jim in O'Brien the quarterfinal. in the quarterfinal yeah, I, 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 he was unbelievable everything he touched he was brilliant and he was so competitive in the air and things as well um, I, I think you know he gets the nod if if Keenan goes goes uh, goes down, but um, yeah, it is interesting. Like I still I I hold a lot of sway in playing in that position for your club. I think it's really important at international to have a bit of experience in the slot. That's why I'm obviously so against you know people like Crowley and Frawley playing all sorts of different positions and Carberry before that as well. Um, I think it's important that you play one position. Because you have to specialise to be really great, I think, in international rugby. There's very few people over throughout the course who've played multiple positions who've really excelled. Gitto is the only one that really comes to mind for me, to be honest with you, and who's been brilliant everywhere he's been. But everyone else, uh, maybe Contepomi played 10 and 12, but everyone else, I think, I, I, I really don't remember anyone who's played different positions that's been really, really successful for a long period of time. So got to specialise. And, and I think, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's something that I think people don't really understand unless they unless they play. Racking my brain for good examples. I know. Yeah, I, there's not. There's very few really. Like it's it's a really difficult thing to do at the top level because everyone else is playing week in week out for their club in that position. They've got all the experience. They know what it feels like. They know what what, what eighty minutes in that position feels like. It's very difficult. Austin Healy. Austin Healy never <laughs> excelled in anything in international. Uh, <laughs> great player, but like brilliant rugby player, but again caught for a position. Well, like he, so he Barrett would probably be the present example. But he doesn't know. play fifteen well. He's the best ten. He he was he, had a he decent was World Cup. He very very good against Ireland. I thought he was good against Ireland. He was awful against France. Yeah, he wasn't great in the final either. But he had a, yeah, he, he, he had an awful final. No, but he's a brilliant player. He should be. He's ten. Is, is he's a ten? Like he just be. He I, I, my views on that are you know that the trip to, trip to Japan is not a good one for you. The, the career career break never works. You never come back a better player. You might come back a decent player, but you never come back a better. And he's given up Half that position. South African starting team are based in Japan. Yeah, but I. I don't think they like. I, I, I think they no, use it to no rest their bodies though, because it's such a nutritional way they play. Like yeah, I don't. I, I can't think of any top line player who's playing consistently before they go that comes back better. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not going to defend Austin Healy because, like, I don't really like the guy. But like, <laughs> ah, no, I like Austin. Do you not like him? I, I find him quite good. He's very uh, funny. Well, he's a brilliant rugby player, but he was a good. He was in like he probably was a nine. Well, he started nine and one Champions Cup final win and made the winning break. But Leon I'm talking, I'm talking about international. And then started 10 in another Champions Cup final win and scored the winning try. Uh, well, like Champions Cup final no, wins. No, 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 I'm talking yeah, about international. Not, okay, fair enough, not international, but like Champions Cup final, two wins, two different positions, and they make it the key moment about getting uh, decent. Gitto, maybe Mananu, but Mananu played kind of almost like two careers. He played one at 12 and one at wing, but maybe Umaga, the other ones, there are guys I could think of playing two positions outstandingly well, but Gitto played them all, in fairness. He's just a magic player, but... I, don't, I can't think of many others. I think specialising is really important. I obviously feel, I feel quite strongly about that because I never really did that myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you become a bit of a victim of it, I think. But um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting case. Isn't it? I think yeah, I can see you racking. You don't, you don't want to let know. it go. You're racking. You I think there's an like, example there. I just want to pause this podcast so I can just like but it's, 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 Sorry, if you, can, if you can't think of one off the top of your head, it'll be the exception that yeah, proves my rule, I think. you know. So it's it's an interesting one for the guys that we've obviously singled out there. Frawley being one of them. You need to specialise. Yeah. 
Justice for Austin Healy. Great Champions <laughs> Cup. It's great player. Great Champions great Cup. Great player. Uh, we'll have yeah. um, you know, Look, Gary Ringrose, you know, that, that defensive moment in the opening stages that Simon Zebo made that great break and it was kind of what you were talking about last week. Like, what did you see in that moment? And did it tie into kind of the point you were making? It, that one, probably not as much because I didn't really think he was coming. He, he just started too far wide and then got too far upfield. And I think as well, you know, it was a lovely bit of play. Nice deception from Zebo because it wasn't like a massive step inside that would have brought you back into the cover. It was just a small little subtle one. So I think he just got, he, where he lined up, he just lined up too far outside him. Um, so he got a little bit unlucky, but still coming forward a little bit too hard. Now he was kind of forced, if you see where Henshaw got to like earlier on, Henshaw kind of finishes off his tackle, even though he knows he's never going to get the ball. Um, it's one of Henshaw's great strengths, but it also means it puts a lot of pressure on the defender outside to be in a perfect position because Henshaw's burned. Once he makes the tackle, there's all the space on the inside. So a um, couple of factors at play for that one. I still think Gary should do better because I just think so highly of him. I think he's a brilliant rugby player and he's got great footwork. Um, but I do think he's overcommitting a little bit and trying to hit too hard and too far behind the gain line. Um, I think if he just took a little step off, because he still has a number outside him, he would still, he'd make that tackle on Zebo. but also the other guy, if Zebo did happen to get it away, would be under severe pressure. So I just think he's he's just overdoing it a little bit. I think he, does more, he should be just a little bit tidier defensively. Um, and I do think I've spotted other than that, some technique issues with him going too far, his upper body too far ahead of his feet, which means he can't control himself coming in there. And I do think he looks like he's a little bit head down too early, which means that you, you know, you're know you not really focusing on a good spot to hit and you don't see any kind of late movement. So there's a few little technique things. I wonder, are Leinster working on that with him? Uh, it was always, we had a guy when I was there, a guy called Kurt McQuilkin, who used to drill technique all the time. You didn't have to be doing, like trying to mill guys, but just drilling the technique, putting yourself in the right positions, getting your, like even look at the Ross Byrne um, handoff, like like when Casey's handing you off, the shortest guy in the pitch by a mile, that tells you, like you have to have that inside hand high like, to, to knock down the fence. That's a real basic skill for, for a professional rugby player, in my opinion, defensively. Um, and I just think Leinster get caught a little bit too much on those on those technique things. I think there's some there's a little bit of growth for them in that area. And I wonder is that something maybe Nina Barr will have noticed because obviously he's a def- bit of a defensive guru. Um, because I think against the best teams, we've seen Leinster technically let themselves down defensively on key moments. You think of the Dante try last year before halftime, which is a key moment. Um, and, and some other ones throughout throughout um, the last couple of years at key junctures. Technique, they should be drilling it a bit better. I think their 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 footwork and I think that hands, that that their 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 handwork getting closer to the contact so they're not getting handed off, not good enough. Um so we wait and see if 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 they can improve that. I think there's been I think a Nina surely would should be like an ideal person to come in and maybe work on some of those things. The only thing you'd say about Nina Bar is maybe he's more very he might be very system focused because he's working with brilliant athletes. You know, South Africa generally have the best athletes in the game. It's hard to hand off the 18, 19 stoners. They're just big animals and they're kind of big, long guys. But um, I, I think if you were looking at Leinster coldly, that's an area where I'd definitely be, be putting some focus on because if they can marry that with what they have in, in attack, um, you know, I do think they could be a little bit calmer, but generally speaking, what they have with attack should get them over the line. It's the defensive part, I think, has been the problem for them. Mm. One thing I found interesting, Jonathan, generally over the last maybe week or two as the internationals have come back is the kind of all talking, or not the guys who've been up for media, talking about the the mental hangover or the mental disappointment or how difficult it's been to get over the World Cup quarterfinal defeat. Like, do you expect that to manifest itself in, in this season in terms of not a down year or anything like that, but you know they've they've, they've it's obviously such a hard 
flow to get over. Probably, you know, it'll probably be a moment they remember for the rest of their lives. Like, do you have any kind of worry in that regard in terms of it affecting, you know, Ireland's performance in the Six Nations or the provincial performances, any of these big competitions? Well, you know, we did see this not so much after the last World Cup because obviously that season was uh, impacted by COVID. So we never saw that season sort of play out to its completion as we would have expected. Prior or after the 2015 World Cup, there was an awful lot of talk about the Irish provinces and how they started in Europe. We know obviously like Connacht went on to uh, went on to win the league, but theoretically, I think it should be worse this time because, like, realistically, I don't think that any Irish player went to any previous World Cup expecting to win it. Like, they may have thought they could have a good crack at it. Speak for yourself, but John. I don't that's know an awful you... thing to say, yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's a terrible thing to say. Putting words in my mouth there. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, like, whenever you're talking to the guys now, I think they all genuinely believed that they were going to win the tournament. And probably still, looking back at that New Zealand game, I think they still think that they are a better team. Like, obviously, two great teams going at it, and it went the way, it went the way of New Zealand, but... You can see in the interviews that a lot of the players are still not over it. Like, and I think it it could manifest itself throughout the season, especially when you get to the latter half of the season. And for those World Cup players, it's going to feel like the season started in July and runs until well, really, whenever we take that uh, South Africa tour into consideration, runs until the next July. Yeah, what do you make of that kind of mental side of it? Like, as I said, like it's been just interesting reading the quotes from various players. Yeah, I, look, I think they'll be chomping at the bit by the time the Six Nations gets around uh, or comes around. Excuse me. I think um, it'll it'll still be hurting, but I think by the time they get back to just to that point of the season, not having November, I think is probably you know obviously a good thing. They were never going to have obviously November internationals, but it just breaks it up a little bit nicely. You know, uh, I think they'll have enough time that um, you know the their focus will have been on Europe. You know, on where they're sitting in the league at that stage, uh, putting themselves back in the shop winner for those, I think, who missed out on World Cup selection. There'll be a little bit of hunger there. I expect to see a few guys come in and out. I think the Sexton thing will, 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 I think that'll end up reinvigorating the group a little bit. I think there'll be a bit of excitement about who goes in there. Uh, I think the interest levels will be high from the public. Um, and I feel like Farrell has done such a good job with, with, um, you know, with, the setup and how much fun it seems to be going into camp that I think they'll enjoy going back in there and I think they'll have a, an opportunity to set a few things right. Um, really difficult. These are always the difficult years for Ireland when it's obviously England and France away. So yeah, I think there's a, there's a little feather for them there to to, to chase in the cap. Um, if they can get a, a Six Nations win or, or a Grand Slam this year, um, you know, it'll it'll I think it'll set themselves. They'll set themselves apart. They're they're really difficult ones to do, and um, there's still plenty of quality guys who are kind of peaking uh, and have you know started pretty strongly. I think for you know a few key guys, um, so I expect them to do really well. And I think um, they've got the perfect coach to I think get them over the hump. Yeah, just on excuse me, you mentioned Jack Dean Amber a few minutes ago. Like obviously he's coming in at a strange time in that the season started huge game against La Rochelle in two weeks as we touched on earlier. Like realistically, what do you think he'll be doing in the net? Like Will he be trying to bring in his ideas now? Like, so I'm sure he might have, like, he's a senior coach. He, like, Stu Lancaster came in and did a lot of work there. But it was different circumstances. Like, what will he be doing between now and, say, La Rochelle in two weeks' time, do you think? Well, I think the defence will be the focus for him. And I think there's plenty the, plenty of gains to be got there. And I think if you look at the... If Even in two weeks? Yeah, like, I think you could, like you, you definitely can. Like, it's it, like most of the stuff, as far as I can see, are some technical issues with with a few guys. 
And I think just cohesively, and I think he might have some new thinking about the rooking and, and, and what they're doing defensively there. I think they could be a little bit uh, imaginative there. I think sometimes, like, Leinster are always competing at the rook. Now, sometimes they fan out, but they they're, they compete really hard there. I think they give up a lot of easy penalties in there too. There's a bit of sloppiness there. So I feel like there's gains there. I think there's gains cohesively. It'll be interesting to see if he can up the line speed a little bit at different times. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just have to feel like that's the area I'd be focusing on with Leinster. Um, bar things you can't probably change like the scrum and and and, yeah. and the lineup, but I think they've, that's not that's not really his remit, is yeah. it? I think his remit is going to be the defense, and I think there's plenty of gains to be had. And I think if they can be a little bit stingier there, that might take them over the line against against La Rochelle. I think but that you, might be the difference. You think with the, within even with just with such a short time frame, he can still get. You like, could target one of those areas. Yeah. I, like I, I definitely think you could target. If I was if I was him, I'd be targeting the rook. Uh, would be something I just think they can be a little bit more selective about what's happening in there and a little less sloppy like Doris to my mind might be one of the best I've seen over the ball but he's given away a lot of penalties since he's come back in the in the couple of games I've watched him and falling over on the wrong side just being a little bit over competitive I think Nina Moore might be able to bring a little bit of calmness to this Lancer team and I think that's important for them because I thought they weren't calm and it, it looked they 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 ran into the blocks at a rate of knots against against La Rochelle last year. Got off to a brilliant lead, but I thought they looked like they emptied the tank with all the all the that massive aggression and hype that they kind of built it up. I think he might be able to give them that winning mentality that he he's definitely been able to give to South Africa, who look very calm no matter what situation they're in. And I think he might be they might be a little bit more selective at the rook, which I think South Africa are quite good at too. So there are two areas, and I think over time he will definitely put his imprint on the defensive side of things and maybe making them a little bit more cohesive, maybe a little bit more aggressive in some areas. And if you can marry those two things, get them a little bit more cohesive and, and a little bit more aggressive, um, put, you know, and, and sort out a bit of the rooking stuff, they could be the, they could, this, this team has great potential in a, from a defensive perspective, in my, in, in my eyes, because I don't see a weak link with them defensively well. You know, there's not one guy in that team I think, God, that guy isn't keen to tackle or isn't a smart rugby player. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's the, that'd be the focus for me. And I think he could have an impact quickly. Yeah, Jonathan, it really is fascinating to see, like, you know, for like the World Cup winning coach, obviously Razzie Erasmus, it's kind of a double act and Razzie is to kind of maybe the more senior person, but just to have the double World Cup winning coach coming into Irish rugby, so, it's, just so, it's going to be so fascinating to see how it plays out, even in the short term, as I mentioned, so, such many, so many big games to come in the next couple of weeks, in the next couple of months, even by the end of this season, given what's happened the last couple of years with Lancer, it'll just be fascinating to see what, what, what he does, what he brings, what he says, even in the media, like. I think just because of Stuart Lancaster as well and how used to that situation everybody got, we can overlook how fascinating it is just to have somebody coming in from that environment winning a World Cup, but being an international head coach and then coming into an environment where technically anyway, in terms of title, you are second in command. Like You're not heading up a coaching ticket and you're coming from the test game into the club game and you're coming from the test game where you just won a World Cup. Like To outline it, like that, you know, it sounds completely mad. So that's an entirely fascinating element of what Leinster do that other teams don't do anyway. But you throw in the fact that he's arriving now, you throw in the fact that, you know, for the first six weeks of the season, we hear about how teams are trying to bet in what they've done in pre-season. And pre-season was four months long. So the fact that we're looking for this to come in on the fly and be a work in progress at a time when... Yes, there is margin for error because of the way that the Champions Cup is set up. But like that La Rochelle game, and we know that they're not going as well as they have been domestically either. But like 
that's a huge marker so early in the season. And we talked about this before. Like we don't normally get these markers for Leinster because we normally just have to wait until the next May or June. So it's a really interesting time for Leinster in general. And you saw in Nina Barr coming in, even the sort of intrigue where they weren't seemingly willing to tell anybody when he was going to arrive and then he just <laughs> appeared on yeah. Monday. You know, It's going to be really something that I think is one of the probably most talked about and most watched things in Irish rugby he, over the next couple of weeks. He was in my local spa shop and he had. Uh, he said he didn't even have uh, any cutlery in the apartment. Are you talking to <laughs> yeah, him? No, no, no. It was uh, the, the local the local, uh, the local, local shop uh, owner was, was telling me. Yeah, so it was hilarious. It's a good point Jonathan makes. So like, we almost took for granted the Leo Cullen-Stewart Lancaster dynamic whereby like an international, former international head coach came in and slotted in so seamlessly and you know there didn't seem to be any kind of ego or I want credit for this or that. That's not to say it'll automatically work the exact same with a double World Cup winner. All of a sudden, like Leo Cullen is his boss, I suppose. Or obviously, you know, Leo worked well with Stewart, but that'll be very interesting as well. Like Jack Dean Aber is a different character. Leo Cullen doesn't, I presume, doesn't know him that well. Like that, that's going to be fascinating to see how they work together as well. But Leo did, was the guy who did recruit him, like quite heavily, I think. And uh, he was, I think they've, they've met a few times. So obviously, he thought that. You know, and Leo's done it before. You know, don't forget that he's a master man manager, even though he's a tough son of a gun, uh, Leo. Um, he's actually a master at getting, and he's a real likable guy, Leo. Like, he's a guy you'd like to work with. So, um, I feel like I'm in a good position to say that I haven't worked with him for, for quite a while. I had a few disagreements here and there as well, but um, Leo's a great guy, and I think he'll be the perfect guy because I don't think Leo actually needs the credit. Um, you know, he was able to sit back and let Lancaster get all the credit, I think, and have all the players kind of talking about him. So Leo might be just the perfect guy rather than Nina Barr not being the perfect guy because I think he'll still get all the credit for it or most of the credit because that's what's happened previously and Leo never had a problem with that. So I think that dynamic might be perfect. I think he might get to do a lot of the things that he really enjoys doing. You know, you heard Lancaster talking about his own experience at the World Cup where he thought he was drawn into too many things that really weren't his strength. Um, the coaching was what he loved and what he thought he'd be really great at. Um, and maybe if you think about Nina Barr, he probably saw something similar to maybe his South African uh, kind of experience where he had someone like Leo to take a little bit of pressure off and he could kind of do what he loves doing and what he's most effective at. So surely a guy as smart as him would have kind of looked at that and thought, mm, that dynamic actually might suit me. Um, but again, we don't know over time. They don't get the results. Things aren't going well. It's a different climate here in Ireland to South Africa. All these things, you know, does this, do the family settle? All these kind of things are, you know, could play into maybe him, um, you know, not enjoying it and there being some kind of, you know, impact on that coaching ticket. But, I think it might be perfect and it might be a fairly seamless because of what he had in South Africa before and it's worked so well. Yeah, it's similar. Like he's working with another big character under someone like in Razi Rasmus, so it is somewhat similar in that regard. I, I take your, your point on that. Jonathan, just before we wrap up, we've been talking Leinster Munster all show. We, we'll get a little uh, update from Ulster. Obviously, they lost to Glasgow on, on Saturday night just after the Leinster uh, Munster game. Like, What's kind of the mood up there at the moment? How would you assess where they are You know, head, as we head towards Europe? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of results, I suppose they've probably got the results that their performances deserve or maybe a touch more than the performances have deserved. They've not been consistent in any way. And I'm not talking about game to game. I'm talking about from half to half. They've not been consistent. Like they've played some really, really good stuff. They've played some really bad stuff, as we saw on Saturday. You know, they play raced into an early lead and get hauled back. That's happened against Connacht as well. In the games that they've won, they've got into deficits and had to claw their way out of that. So I think they're still really striving for a bit of consistency. There's been no consistency in 
selection. And I think that's a conscious thing. You know, they've used 45 players, I think it is, across six games and have given seven senior debuts out to players. So they've really been rotating quite heavily. And I think there's probably an understanding of that from the fan base and an understanding that that meant that it wasn't going to be a huge amount of continuity week to week early in the season. But um, I think it's probably a sense now as well with, you know, everybody back on deck, Kitschoff having made his debut one week out from Europe, that things are probably going to step up in terms of intensity and that we probably are going to see, admittedly with, <laughs> without a recognised 10 going into the weekend, but probably are going to see the team that Dan McFarland would consider his first choice for certainly the next three weeks anyway. Jonathan, would there be a massive interest from Ulster fans in like, say, Leinster and Munster at the weekend? Obviously, it's so, so dominant. If you, I suppose, but I'm like, is it, if you're, is it more if you're from Leinster and Munster that you're more drawn into it or is it something that every Irish rugby fan is glued to in the way that we've been digesting it here? Well, as from my perspective up here and talking to people up here, it certainly didn't help that the two matches overlapped. So if you wanted to watch... You know, Ulster fans will have been switching over at half time of the Leinster Munster match to watch the Ulster game. Like, you know, it wouldn't be so big a game that people would have foregone watching Ulster. But there's certainly interest. There's always interest in the Irish derbies, I think. Maybe not, you know, you're talking about the the detail in which it's it's treated down there. And obviously it wouldn't be to that level. But I think there's certainly a good deal of interest in the high the other provinces are tracking and certainly if the two if you know if the Leinster Monster game hadn't clashed with uh with the Ulster game I would have said you would have had almost universal viewing for it you know mm. yeah I'll give you the, the last word then on Ulster before we, we wrap up you know where do you where do you think they're at yeah it, it was a bit a bit of a mixed bag they were plucky enough to get themselves back into into the game they kind of hung around for for periods but I didn't really think they ever looked like winning it, Jonathan. After obviously the start of the game, they got off to a flyer. You know, the Cooney with the kind of messy try, Stewart with another with another mall try. He's some man for a mall try, isn't he? Um, but I just thought at key junctures, it just didn't look stingy enough defensively, and they were just a little bit sloppy. Um, you know, fell off a few tackles. Um, you know, but they look, they did show a, a bit of pluckiness at times, like the you know the holding up two Pilato with that you know that that was kind of plucky enough. Even though I thought that the, the tackling before it was pretty abysmal, um, but he's a pretty hard guy to stop. In fairness, that close to the line, but um, yeah, I just think defensively they look a little bit messy. I, I know it's been a recurring theme for me <laughs> throughout the show. It generally is. I, I just would like them to to be a little bit better there. I thought, um, you know the. I think it was it was a Kyle Bow was it the, the the Glasgow winger that tried close to the line Rowe, uh, I think Rowe, yeah. excuse me sorry Kyle Rowe, excuse me um, Balakoon looked like he was getting across nicely there and I just thought that was a that was a to get it, go outside you like that when you're numbered up two on two that they just have a few moments like that Ulster where I think um, they need to improve a little bit and I'd love to see them stamp their authority on the game like they had enough on that pack on the pitch um, to to be a bit more competitive and to look like they to look like they were going to win the game at stages and I just didn't feel like they ever were going to do that so um, yeah I think um, there's a bit of a journey for them to go and I think the expectation levels rightly as Jonathan said will go up over the next couple of weeks um, and I think the 10 situation is unfortunate timing for them because I just think you know, they could do with with a bit of luck and that and a bit of continuity in that 10 slot um, because they've got plenty of firepower behind the pack. And it looks to me like they've made some progress in a couple of areas in, in, in the pack. Um, you know, so 
uh, that's a bit unfortunate. Hopefully it doesn't come back to bite them because we would like to see them get off to a good start in Europe too, you know. Yeah, well, plenty to look forward to over the next few weeks from all the provinces. In the meantime, I'd like to thank Luke and Jonathan for joining me on this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back with another podcast later in the week. I had the opportunity to chat to referee Wayne Barnes as he calls time on his career. So make sure to tune in to that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye.